0: Don't forget that we make the decisions. So wherever we want to send you is where we're going to send you.
1: And I see a lot of deals being done late tonight and early tomorrow because I think there's going to be a lot of movement.
2: Welcome to another episode of Digging In with J.P. and Sylvia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne, and this is a trade deadline edition of the podcast, which means that we're going to say some things today that you might hear them after the deadline and they'll sound Uh, incredibly stupid, but that's the price of doing business before deadline time. And our guest is Ned Colletti. And for those of you who are Blue Jays fans who are less familiar, Ned, uh, spent nine years as the Dodgers general manager, and he's now a Emmy winning sports broadcaster. Exactly the kind of guy who can take us inside what trade deadline day is all about. And we're going to list it later when we talk to him, but this guy has acquired some big players at the deadline. Well, he's,
0: he's a guy who, I like to say, is a godfather. He's one of those figures as a front office guy. He was also with the Giants when they were doing well. I mean, this guy's been around a lot of baseball. And so I just want to dig in. I love talking to these kind of guys because I get super excited to dig into, okay, what really goes on? Because it, as a fan, even as a player, you don't understand what really goes on, right? You're always – You're always thinking about it as a player. All right, what are they thinking? What are they gonna do? Is this, that, whatever? As a fan. This will be fun because you'll get to actually hear about what really goes on. I wanted I want to ask him a ton of questions as far as, you know, how much is texting back and forth? How much do guys call? How much is like even not responding to a text make a difference? Like, does that make you freak out about a trade that's about to be done? I bet you there's so much just like I would say, jockeying that goes on between GMs during this time. And I want to also ask him, too, is does this make a huge difference, the new style of the trade deadline, or it's only one date as opposed to the, the waiver wire?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because he made the biggest August trade in recent history when he traded with the Red Sox to get Josh Beckett and Carl Crawford and Adrian Gonzalez. So not being able to make those kind of moves is a huge difference. And I think that, you know, GMs, have to be kind of cautious in what they tell us so it's nice to talk to guys who are out of that position now because they can let loose and explain it a little bit more you know it's not like you know. I, I like the movie Moneyball fine it's a good movie but it's probably not like the scene in Moneyball where he just calls a guy and then hangs up on him and calls another guy and has talked to three GMs in four minutes and has it play out exactly how he wants it I think that people would be surprised how long it takes to put together a trade especially a significant one
0: yeah, it's just fun. You know, this is a for me this is an exciting time. I I even tweeted about it, you know, kind of pull out your popcorn and, and just get excited to watch what happens because you could be a person it, both both sides win in the case of a trade in the sense of if you're the if you're a team that's out of it, you're excited to see who did we get? What are these people going to do for us in the future? What are these players going to do for us in the future? You know, that's the fun part of that side. And then if you're a contending team, you're like, holy smokes, we just added a big player to our team, and could that take us over the hump or could it hurt us? Because one thing that I thought is crazy, and I I forgot who I was talking about this the other day, was everybody gets excited about these trades, but don't forget – the Oakland A's when I was with Texas in twenty fourteen, remember they traded for Samarja, John Lester, and they were at the division. They were leading the division at that time, and we all thought as players like, oh, crap, these guys are about to just steamroll everybody and they all and they had let go of Cespedes. that was one part of that trade, and they freaking blew up. they sucked, and they didn't they they were out of it and so. That's the crazy part of the trade deadline too. There's no slam dunk when you're in it and you get for a, and you let go of somebody and you get a big player doesn't
2: necessarily mean that that's going to be the end all uh, to to you guys winning. Yeah, that 2014 Oakland team looked like a juggernaut and then the guy they brought on, John Lester, his inability to hold runners ended up being exploited big time in the wild card game and that was a huge reason why they lost. Yeah, there's going to be teams that acquire guys at the trade deadline and then especially in the National League where everything is all over the place and people could end up totally falling off the map even though they've invested prospects in these big players. So I don't think it's fair for us to have a Blue Jays focused podcast without talking a bit about Marcus Stroman before we bring on uh, Ned Coletti because that is you know one of the bigger trades in Blue Jays recent history, especially in terms of the rebuild. JP, what was your first impression of the Strowman trade?
0: Surprised. Surprised in a sense. Um, You know, I think that if you're Strowman, you would have thought that you were going to be going to a contender. I think that's something that was very surprising. Um, But on the other hand, although surprising, the Blue Jays are going to do what's best for the Blue Jays, right? This is a business, and fans – Players, Everybody understands. Like, this is a business. And so, Strowman being dealt was going to be to the highest bidder, okay? And and so, the Mets were able to return, which they think the Blue Jays, for an office, their scouts, obviously there's a ton of homework that goes into these trades before they're done. They obviously think these two arms are big-time arms that can help them in the near future and that can make a difference, can be impact arms because you're not going to just – trade your number one for somebody that's not impact. So I I think that that's what they truly believe. Um, I know that, you know, I don't think Strowman was too happy about the way it all went down. I think there was a lot of miscommunication. There was a lot of different things. You hear some reports. I just read a report that said Ross was talking about that he was in, in contract talks with the agent. They tried to approach it and they were way far off on numbers. And you have the other side saying, You know, it's funny. I've never heard these – I never, you know, even heard about it and different rumors about them trying to sign him to a deal and and Strowman tweeting back, this is news to me. So there was a a ton of just miscommunication throughout the deal. I just was surprised that it was to the Mets. Um, It was the Big Apple, just the wrong Big Apple.
2: Yeah, it was a very chaotic thing in general, and I think after the game I was there on Sunday – they closed down the clubhouse, which you never see happen. There was you know, there's no secret. there was a commotion and the commotion is a word that's getting thrown around a lot in the aftermath of this. There was a commotion in there. <laughs> very professional uh, commotion. commotion. Yeah, it was a very professional commotion. Uh, everyone was super respectful of each other. I don't know. I think you know Strowman said it was an exchange of opinions. I forget what Atkins quote. it was something to that effect. I think that we can agree that that was probably a generous wording in terms of what happened. <laughs> you know, Strowman's probably not had... It's funny, I was actually on... This is how exciting my life is. I was on a conference call yesterday. I was on a conference call for uh, Troy Tulowitzki's retirement, and he was kind of talking to the press for the last time about his career and all that stuff. And something he st- said really stuck with me because it related to the Strowman situation. Because he was talking about how when he got traded to the Blue Jays, and how much a shock that was for him. And he said, obviously, I didn't expect to get traded. And it was a new country and a team at the time that was below 500. I'd thought the whole time, if I was going to get traded, I was going to go to a team sitting pretty in first place. So that's exactly what Strowman was going through. He expected, you know, he said he wanted to stay and we can extension talks, yada, yada, yada. I don't think that was ever really going to happen. But if he expected to get traded, he expected to get traded to a team that was right in the thick of it. And there are plenty of teams, especially in the National League, that are right in the thick of it. And he landed on one that wasn't, and that's got to be a pretty big disappointment. Yeah, I mean, for him, I think obviously, listen,
0: that's like the whole. I think both of them answering the questions the way they did. That's that's almost like the. I just drilled somebody intentionally, and I I had I was just trying to go in with the fastball because the hitter. Is really good on on extending. He's got his to hands. respect
2: the inside of the plate. Yeah,
0: and it's like so. Ball just got away. Like, come on. Listen, they were Marcus is very vocal, and I know you know probably Marcus went after Ross because he was upset at Ross. I think that everybody understands that his his beef was with been with the front office, and you know. That's what happens, and that's what happens when you have a player who's you know who cares one because he does care and two who is very very verbal and I think again, the problem with this whole situation comes down to communication, and I think that's where I wish that front offices were better communicators they're not really good communicators, and this is speaking from just personal experience, and you still talk to guys in baseball and they say the same thing like it sucks if they just told guys the truth, I think guys would understand and be in a better spot but a lot of times they bullshit guys and that's what pisses guys off is is you bullshit somebody long enough and then you then you you're not gonna get you're gonna get a person who doesn't respect you and who wants to you know obviously i think let's be honest try to fight you in a sense you know this is speculating but there's no there weren't they were not screaming at each other i've been in clubhouses you're not screaming at each other and like like hand gesturing you're when it gets like that heated they're closing I mean crap's going down and so it's just it's weird listen I think it's also for the Mets I was confused about the Mets because I'm like okay these guys are out of it but they just traded for number one are they going to turn around and trade him somewhere else are they going to use him as collateral like what the deal? Because they're out of it. So what were they trying to corner the pitching market? They just traded Vargas. Like, that's the weird thing for me was that the Mets were in on it. Not that they the Blue Jays traded to the Mets. I don't think it's weird to me. I think they just went to the highest bidder. But it was weird to me that the Mets were the one that were the highest bidder, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and we'll see. And perhaps by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, we'll know exactly what the Mets had in mind. But if they do end up, let's say they trade Syndergaard, because uh, that's something that's been bandied around a lot. And they keep Strowman. I th- I understand the idea. Okay, we're going to trade Strowman, we're going to get Strowman, and he'll be a slight downgrade on Syndergaard, and we're going to get big prospects for Syndergaard, and we won't have to give up as much to get Strowman. But if that idea is going to work, they need to extend Strowman, probably. And then does Strowman really want to be there to that extent? There's a lot of complication there, and it's going to take a while to... Unwind what's going on with the Mets. In terms of the Blue Jays' return, I think it is worth bringing up that there's been a, quite a lot of skepticism about it. A lot of people have been saying, you know, they didn't get an, a top 100 prospect, people in the industry. some I heard some tweets saying calling it a desperation deal. I don't know if that's quite fair. People are talking about, oh, they traded him a couple days out. I'm not sure how much that made a difference, to be honest. The way I see it is it's guys that they specifically really liked, and they probably liked those guys better than other teams like them, which is fine, but you kind of have to be right. Because if you're wrong, if you pick guys that you thought were really good, but other people were like not as high on, and then it turns out that everyone else was right, you definitely get egg on your face in that situation.
0: Yeah, and and here but that's the part of trading, right? You you trade with the idea that you know you're gonna win the trade and that you think that it's it's good for the team. One, I don't buy into a hundred prospects B.S. Because yeah, if you're in the top 15, top 15 is one thing. But for me, the biggest thing is, you know, you talk to teams. Teams push prospects down on purpose to try to hide them. They don't. They don't. They have these. They help out with ranking these guys too. And so you have one pitcher, the left-hander May, who was in who was in the futures game. I mean, he's got big-time stuff in Triple A. He struggled, but that's that happens to guys getting up there. And the righty, who's a little younger, they were trying to get in the first round back in the day, and they weren't able to get him. And they were now they were able to get him in a trade. So again, this is obviously a, a long line of stuff. I think that the Blue Jays have done a pretty good job of picking up. Let's not let's let's not say damaged goods, but like guys that were not maybe the top, and then getting stuff out of them. Look at Sogard, Sogard. They were able to get some stuff out of him. Daniel Hudson. I'm sure they're going to get something out of him. Like, so they've been able to to whatever they're doing analytically or, or like scouting wise, they've been able to do a good job. I think of maybe getting guys that people devalued and, and making a little bit of value out of them. So let's see if this continues, but here I'm going to give you my, my other, this is the, like the three hats down. Not, I'm not wearing two hats. I'm going to wear it. This is my third hat down uh, a little bit of a conspiracy theorist. I think if you look at it, I already gave you my baseball sense. If you look at it as a conspiracy theorist, I think that was a personal jab at Marcus Stroman in the sense of, all right, you're going you're gonna to put us on blast all the time. You're going to be calling us out. You're going to be doing all these different things. Don't forget that in baseball, we make the decisions. We own your rights. So wherever we want to send you is where we're going to send you. And... Could that have been a little bit of, of a spite? I don't know.
2: I, but I, that's my conspiracy uh, theorist. I You know, it's not the worst conspiracy I've heard. I know that they would have had a lot of offers to deal with. And I'm sure that some of the offers were fairly similar to the other ones in terms of the value they put on them. So if you're, you're Ross Atkins and Marcus Stroman has caused you headaches for a long time, I could definitely see you being like, oh, we could do the Braves and the Mets have the same offer approximately. We'll do the the Mets. I think that my impression, especially um, after Atkins spoke yesterday, was that they really like this kid, Simeon Woods-Richardson. And when you have an 18-year-old who's really, really excelling at the single A level, that is very impressive to me. I know that he wasn't on too many prospect looks way way up high, but he's done a lot this season. A lot of people throwing around the word. This is for producer Zub, who's going to have to edit this. Uh, the word helium to describe him in terms of that quick ascent. And I love prospects who are young for their level. I think that that's a huge, a huge indicator of a guy who's going to have success. And so I think that whether this trade is a good one or not is going to hang main like i don't want to dismiss the guy k i think he could end up being a rotation piece maybe a number four or something but i think if this trade is successful it's going to hang on the shoulders of this kid simeon woods richardson and we'll see uh if he's up to that task so now we're going to be joined by our guest today former los angeles dodgers general manager ned colletti
0: all right well as we said our guest ned colletti one of the all-time greats in the baseball front office, now killing it on the TV, Emmy Award winning, the godfather himself. Ned, how are you? I'm
1: doing good. Good to hear your voice, my
0: friend. <laughs> Just getting right into it, because for me, this is one of the coolest things. Uh, this is the coolest time of the year. But on the GM side, for this time, now the time's changed. You don't have that waiver wire. Now you have to – this is the, the hard date. How big of a difference do you think that it's going to make, you know, coming up?
1: Well, I think it it will make a dramatic difference. I think there's a, a few different factors at work. One is that you've got one shot, and that's coming up in, on the 31st of July, not 31st, not 31st of August. I think that'll be a big change. Coupled with so many teams are in the wild card race, and some teams are probably going to look at it and say, "Look, we got a 50 50 chance." to make it then we got a 50-50 chance to win one game and then you know are we going to be able to beat the team with the best record in our league and you got to be realistic with that especially if you're going to give up some high end prospects to maybe get that one or two more players to to put you into that situation i think some teams will do that i think some teams will just play it out i think some teams will realize you know what, if a bunch of stuff goes right, yeah, we may play one game. Do we want to do that? You know, what do we want to give up maybe to play one game? But sometimes GM is on the hot seat. Sometimes the fan base is getting a little anxious because a team hasn't made it to the postseason even for one game for a decade. So I think there's going to be a very interesting dynamic that takes place between now and the 31st.
0: Do you, do you think – or not do you think – in your experience – for this time, does it start in the winter meetings when you had a conversation and it doesn't get done, and maybe now you know this is a closer time? When do guys and GMs and the front offices start communicating as far as the trades? Because I, I mean, I'm sure stuff happens last minute as well, but there's got to be conversations going way into this.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It, it's 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 different for every deal. There are sometimes a player that teams show interest in a player, and it takes months to get to come to fruition, for whatever reason. Sometimes the teams don't want to do it quite yet. Sometimes their season success, their personal success in the job that they have kind of rests with how the team does. Uh, you know, I, had, I got Adrian Gonzalez late in August from Boston, but I had inquired back in, in early April. About Adrian Gonzalez. So it took that time. Uh, going back to Boston one more time, you know, we acquired Manny Ramirez on August uh, or July 31st, 2008. That deal didn't start to come into focus until six hours before the deadline.
2: That's a good thing it got done.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's six hours, sometimes it's six months. It depends. I think what you'll start to see today, by the time you get to the second half of of the tw- of the 30th you're going to see you're going to see teams that have been bluffing come out a little bit and say you know what we're you know we've we've listened to everybody we've made a decision to do this and do that and do this you've talked to us about this player if you'll add this player to it we'll do a deal all the bluffing can not i'd say 90 percent of the bluffing goes away on the 30th of July, and you wake up on the 31st after a short nap, and it's going to be a race to the finish line. And I see a lot of deals being done late tonight and early tomorrow because I think there's going to be a lot of movement, but I think everybody's kind of played it coy. Remember, as a team that's selling, your only downside is injury. The market's not going away. There's a lot of teams that are trying to get better, So your market won't go away. Your market will just get stronger. If you've got a quality player, you're going to move. The only downside you've got is injury.
2: Ned, I'm glad you mentioned kind of people dropping their bluffs and things like that because one of the parts of the year, one of the things that happens at this part of the year that's so fascinating is all the rumors and the misinformation that floats around. And I'm wondering, when you're in a front office, one, do you put any effort in trying to get certain things out there and what does that look like? And two, how do you sift through all the things that you hear to try and figure out what the truth is?
1: Well, there's a lot of layers to it. And I think you really have to do your homework and your preparation well in advance. And your scouts, your people in the field, I think, are keys to that. Because they know what's going on. If you hear that uh, that Toronto is going to trade a player that nobody's even talked about, okay, they just traded Strowman. They've been talking about Strowman for weeks. But they're going to trade somebody that... Uh, Nobody's even really heard his name being mentioned. That may you gotta check to see if that's even true. Because this time of year, so many different things are, are put out there to get reactions sometimes. Some teams will put out uh, on a, about a different team. Yeah, they've talked to this team about such and such a player. and they never had the conversation just to see if that'll bear fruit. If, if somebody will call and say, hey, I saw you were interested. We haven't really thought about moving a player. But, hey, you know, if for the right deal, we might be, be persuaded to do so. So much misinformation is out there. So much of the information is is kind of tailored to get reaction. And some of it's right on. Some of it's true. But a lot of it is tailored, I think, to get reaction. And also sometimes to put pressure on different teams and different people. And I think it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. I think people trade information at this point in time. I think some of your, your big-time baseball writers, guys that know everybody who can call one team, kind of can call one team on behalf of another team to see what kind of action they've got on a particular player, especially if there's, if there's six teams going after one player. And that one team sitting with that one player is fielding all these calls. And there's somebody on the inside of that one team that is willing to give up some information to a writer, for example, who has information that they can use. And so therefore the writer could go into that, that conversation and say, yeah, team X is the team that they like the most as far as what the offer is. And then, Maybe it's Team Y that is called the writer. Now Team Y gets word, hey, Team X is in the lead. They've got the better offer. So, you know, whatever you guys are going to offer, know that it's not good enough right now. And so that goes on. And then if you add that dynamic to it, and it's a bluff, suddenly now Team Y is, is up in an offer that they may have the lead offer, but they're still up in it. So you've got to really keep your mind quiet, and you've got to be st- – Steady with your thought process and, and do so much research and, and background and things before you get to, to this period of the month because now there would be all sorts of news out there, and I would love to have somebody be able to keep track of what's real and what's bluff and what's just put out there to get some reaction because I, I would have a feeling it's in the high eighty to ninety percent range of just bluffing and kind of clowning around with people to see what they would really do.
2: Ned, general managers tend to be kind of the figures that are focused on at this time of year because that was a, the kind of the face of a front office. But when you see a trade, say the Blue Jays trade, you know, smoked the Indians. That was a rumor today, and they trade for their eighteenth ranked prospect and their twenty eighth ranked prospect. How deep yeah. does your knowledge go as a GM in terms of researching all of these different systems, especially if you're a seller, or, and how much are you relying on the people around you, your scouts, to just tell you, oh, this is a good guy. You might not know much about him, but this is, trust me, this is the guy we want.
1: Well, I think that it's, it's imperative that whenever you have a ranking of any kind to understand how was the ranking put together. And not too long ago, When you would have publications rank farm systems and rank players and rank the player inside a farm system, you got the farm system rank 1 to 30, where do you rank with other teams, Uh, where do your players rank, where do your players rank versus each other, I spent a lot of time ranking our own guys internally from our scouts and player development people and then having our scouts spend a lot of time looking at other organizations we ranked the players we saw the players enough cuz sometimes if you don't know the ingredients of how a ranking became a ranking is it is the people who are writing the rankings are they truly scouts do they know what they're looking at are they looking simply at analytics are they looking are they talking to people who are trying to promote their own players or have they helped the the person doing the ranking? Have they helped that person in the past with some information? And so that person's going to give them a little bit of a boost when they rank their teams, when they rank their teams, because who really knows? It's an exact science. And I always, whenever there's anything inexact like that, I've got to know how you come up with the ranking. Who is coming up with the ranking? So would it be curious to look at a, you know, at a publication's rankings of, uh, of the Dodgers' top 30? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Does it match our top 30? It never matched our top 30. And we had guys, that it was their living. They made a living looking at these guys, knowing these guys every day. Some players get ranked high, and you never want them on your team because of how they behave, how their character is, how their preparation is. They may be skilled. But you don't want them on your, on your team. And just because somebody has a highly ranked prospect doesn't mean that they're going to be a Hall of Fame player. Check that out sometime, how many people have been ranked at the top of an organization and maybe touched the big leagues for a minute or maybe never got there. So the rankings to me, it's interesting, it's fun for fans. When you're making decisions in, in, the, in the big chair, so to speak, and you're sitting right there and you've got to make the call, Where are you getting your information from? A piece of paper, a book, uh, a a website, and how they get that information. And are they doing the favor to somebody else because they did them a a, a favor a year back and gave them some information and helped them write a better story about somebody else. So I always look at that. Maybe I'm over-suspicious. I don't know. But when you're talking about rankings and things like that, okay, how did it come up? Is it opinion? Is it fact?
0: well and that's what that you know it's a perfect segue because i told nick and we're talking about this and the blue jays obviously they traded strowman everybody thinks you know they trade strowman they didn't get any top 100 prospects and i what i said is and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i said listen i've heard many stories of teams trying to keep prospects they they might not talk them up as much to try to hide prospects or like you said somebody you know you might not keep around i'm going to talk him up so that he's got a little bit higher value so that he, we can trade him but you know people buying into that top 100 prospects you can't look at that
1: no because again how is it put together how is it put together and whoever does put it together do they know as much about the player as the team that has the player you know i mean with the blue jays the uh, two players that were that, the Mets, let's say. Would the Mets rank those two? Where would the Mets rank those two players? Legitimately rank those two players as of, let's say, a month ago in their system. That's the truer, that's the truer number. And it's, it's unfair to ask the Mets to rank those players internally, quietly internally, based upon every other player in minor league baseball. In, it, impossible to do that impossible to do that it's conjecture and it's curiosity and it's it's interesting to talk about but it doesn't mean it's reality
0: the the one of the things i wanted to ask you i know you you're big giants background as well um now all of a sudden you're in the big chair and they put themselves back into the contention with that kind of fan base and a manager who's on his way out his last year how much of a pickle does that put you in as a GM making a decision?
1: I think it would, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to speak for anybody or tell anybody what they ought to do. If I was sitting in that spot and my manager is retiring with a hall of fame career, and the team has played really well the last month i'd have to I'd have to look at it realistically, uh, probably from two different areas. Okay, can we sustain this? And if we get to October, do we have enough starting pitching? Bullpen looks like it could be fine. But do we have enough starting pitching to win a series? Not a game, game, but to win the game and then to win a series. Realistically, look at that. Because they'll be going up against the Dodgers. Can they beat the Dodgers? Now you have a great rivalry there, too. So you have to factor that into it. But that can go away if your pitchers don't have command in the first inning of the first game. The rivalry thing goes away quick if you're down five nothing. So I think the you got to think about it that way. And if you're if you're on defense with that, I think I would leave it to the other teams. If you want to come and get our number one ace starting pitcher for your team, tell me how bad you want him. You want to get a closer? Tell me how bad you want him. And if you're gonna make me do a deal, you're gonna make me do a deal because the offer's gonna be so strong. I can't hang the phone up. If you're going to kind of nip around the edges and, and kind of be coy and, and, and not give me your best offer or not have that much interest, then I probably got to play it out. If I think of my team has got a chance to win one game and or win another series or maybe even take it further, that team's won a couple World Series coming out of a wild card and also went to the one that I was involved with them back in '02. We were a wild card team. Ended up going to game seven. So it, it can happen, but I think that I would look at it in those two ways. Can we win a series? I'm, I'm still on a fence after all of that, and I know the injury history of my team and where guys are at. If I'm getting guys back or if i got guys that are really kind of finicky right now and may go down, then i got to wait for the other teams to tell me, okay, you want my, my ace starter, my big lefty? Tell me how bad. You want, you want the closer who's left-handed? Tell me how bad. And you make me a deal I can't say no to? I'll probably do it. But it's not gonna be well maybe if come maybe and uh, you know on a scale from one to ten it's a five five. You know, it's gonna have to be like one of those deals you go, I get it, I'm in. But that's why you gotta do all your homework too. And you gotta know, you gotta know what you got. And I think the greatest thing in negotiation, whether it's a contract, whether it's a car, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a trade, you gotta have research, deluxe, you gotta have preparation, huge. You've got to be willing to listen. You've got to be willing to listen because that's when you learn. And you've got to have the courage to say no because if you don't say no, you'll never really know what they're willing to do because it will continue to go in the opposite direction. You've got to do all that stuff, and timing plays into it now. But this is, this is the time of year when this happens. If I've got one other thought for you. If baseball turned into the NBA or the NFL or the NHL where they had a free agent window that opened up months after, after the season concluded like they do in those other sports, think what baseball free agency would be if it opened up, let's say, the first day of the winter meetings. Nobody could sign until you got to wherever the winter meetings were, and then the bell rang. Be pretty wild.
2: Ned, one more before we let you go. I'm wondering, on a more personal note for GMs, how is this time of year? Like, Are you awake 24 hours a day? Are you only looking at your phone? Like, What does your life turn into during trade deadline time? Because I know Ross Atkins was saying yesterday like he literally could not be busier, and I just imagine this is a really hectic time just to exist as a human being. I'm wondering what that's well, it, like.
1: It is. It was the best time. It was, it was the best four or five days of my season, except winning a division or a championship after that. But as far as your job and what you do to make your team better, there's no better four or five days than this because it does start to amp up. And now you get to like yesterday and today, 29, 30, tomorrow 31, and it is, it is crazy. I had my inner circle with me. So we could debate, we could continue to talk, you would you would go home about two in the morning and be back at the stadium about five in the morning, and sometimes just slept sometimes you didn't I, I told a story on our, our flagship station here in l a yesterday where I got home for two hours during the OA trading deadline, and I, you know I'm, I, I wear cowboy boots a lot, right? I wear boots and, and jeans and, and uh, sport coat, and I woke up two hours after I got home, and I was still in the same clothes. I just laid down for a second to close my eyes and it was two hours later the alarm went off and I was back out. So that that's a lot of what happens. But I used to have two cell phones going and a landline. I always had a landline available in case a cell ran out of charge, in case a cell the other you know, I was in a, a bad spot or you know, for communication. But you stay after it and you gotta use your inner circle. There's some people that are so tight to the GM. They know how the GM thinks. They know how to challenge thought process. They know what other teams are thinking. You know, the way I had it set up, I, I had you know, a different degrees of, of, of information. But we covered every base we could. We knew everything. We knew what people were doing. We would watch games in stadiums. I almost acquired a player at the deadline. The last play of an afternoon game. The guy's playing shortstop, and there's a ground ball hit to him, and he gets his hand in the glove a second too early, beats the ball into the web. The ball hits his hand. He throws it awkwardly to first base, but the hitter's out. Runs off the field, doesn't bat again. The game is over. The deadline's upon us. If you're not watching that game in that stadium, you don't know that happened. But the scout was there, and he says, when you call back to this GM, because we were about to do the deal, we were on the 99-yard line. I said, how's his hand? And the GM was quiet. And I said, how's his hand? And he says, well, uh, we're going to get an X-ray because uh, he, got, he had this mishap late in the game. I said, okay, I got it. But had I not, had I not had a scout there, There's a chance I make that deal. There's a chance that the GM would say, well, wait a minute, we had a problem at the end of the game. But There's also a chance, because not everybody's going to be an honorable. There's also a chance that he says, hey, yeah, you know, he's ready to go. And, uh, yeah, well, let's make a deal. I mean, if you're not watching, and I mean watching, watching, scouting everything, scouting everybody, and scouting your scouts. I had to know how my scouts scouted. I had to know how GMs thought, how GMs reacted. The tone of a voice of a GM can tell you a lot of different things. Anytime you're you're negotiating, you guys, anxiety shows, um, patience kind of shows, confidence shows, lack of confidence shows. Just in conversation, you guys know that too. This is the time of year; as GMs are really fine tuned in the listening to all of it.
0: Ned, you're the man. Uh, I could literally hear you speak for days because I know you got stories. But thank you for coming on, and again, you're one of the best.
1: Best of luck, gentlemen. Call me anytime. Always good to hear your voice, my friend. I miss
2: you. I miss you too. Be good.
1: Bye, right, buddy. See you later.
2: Ned Colletti officially, I think maybe overtaking Joe Biagini is our most verbose guest, but that is absolutely not a bad thing. How, like you said, how, I could listen great to that voice, stuff great voice, great stories, so good.
0: You imagine like that's the stuff that I think is so cool for the front office, and I and I'm sure you enjoy this as a as a person who loves a game or even tries to you you know your job is to to think about these things of what trades you would make and even your your story on digging through the Tampa Bay Rays organization like how how awesome is that to like hear somebody that's been through it that doesn't make a trade because of the last second or makes a trade with six hours left you know like there's it's just that's the stuff for me that's so cool because you hear all these rumors and like you said 80 to 90% of it is bullshit. So that's the real, we just got the real truth.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy, I made a list before we came on about guys he's traded for at the deadline. Greg Maddox, Manny Ramirez, Octavio Dotel. that's more just a funny one because everyone's traded for him. Shane Victorino, Hanley Ramirez, and then that August deal, Beckett, Crawford, Gonzalez. Like, yeah, this guy has made, he's been on one of those Teams that's always in contention. He's always been grabbing big names. So yeah, this guy has a lot of stories about how baseball works. Before we wrap up, I want to hit on one thing before we hit the uh, the would you rather very quickly. Is the Bobashek call up obviously MLB debut last night? Got a hit in his first at bat. I'm wondering what you make of the timing of the call up because it struck me as a little bit odd i know that perhaps we're going to see Freddie galvis traded in the next couple days and then it just makes sense to bring him up but this seemed like a like a pr boost for me like we're bringing up you know we were criticized for bringing up vlad late we're bringing up Bo on time he's an exciting guy blah, blah blah and then you bring him up in the middle of this stroman flurry that's going on and it becomes sort of a side note for people and I think they kind of could have cashed in on this news I know that you don't want to run your organization purely with PR in mind but they could have cashed in on some good feelings with Bo and it just seems to me that instead they kind of they buried it a bit.
0: Yeah no I I agree the timing I don't like the timing of it in the sense of I think that the timing their hand was stuck because they had to make a roster move so with Sogard it made it easy uh, with the roster move and and Strowman obviously easy with the roster move. So I think that's where the timing, I imagine the reason why they had to do it would they had to do it. But I agree. I think, you know, they had Vladdy come up and he had his, he had his time to shine. They had Kavin come up. He had his time to shine. Then they have Bo and they call up Bo and nothing to take, not to take anything away from Kansas City. But it, I mean, I would have liked to have seen him make his debut at home, just a little bit of things behind it. Like, just, just a little bit of a, of a bigger marketing, like, rollout. That's the only thing. But also, you know, these guys don't make decisions based on that. And I, and it was time that Bo was was coming up. And, you know, I imagine we will see Freddie Galvis on the block here. And you might see him wearing another uniform and another, you know, another one-year deal that, that's turned into something, you know. So you have to tip your hat on so – everybody wants to hate on the front office. There's some things that they've done right. And, um, you know, I think that if they get something for Freddie, that's another thing that they'll do right. And Daniel Hudson is another thing they'll do right. But um, I just think it was all weird. And let me tell you something, too, that was weird. And not to take away a bow from Bo Bichette's debut, because this guy's going to be a superstar. And I love him as a player, as a person. We had that interview with him. You could tell the guy's as confident as it can get. But even what's weird, too, is then you – the whole thing going on, then you – Shelly Duncan gets reassigned – and that was like yeah. completely, I was like, man, what the heck is going on right now?
2: To to be fair to them, that's something that leaked out, not something that they announced. But yeah, very unusual piece of news there. There's a lot of speculation about whether he was involved with the Strowan thing, which I don't think is going to wind up to be the case. The I, thing with I, Bo- I don't think that's accurate. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. The the Bo thing that's interesting is, like, you could have brought up Richard Urania. Just let him fill for the road trip and then have a Bo debut at home. I know we saw that the Vladi debut didn't bring out a huge crowd the way we thought maybe it would. But I think, you know, you get a little bit extra for Bo, make it a little bit more of an event. At the end of the day, it's not going to be a huge issue. This is something we're probably going to forget about in a couple of weeks, but... You know, if I were pulling the triggers there, I think I might have handled it a little differently. So let's, uh, let's finish this up with a would-you-rather. This is it's kind of a basic premise, but I think there's more to it than, than meets the eye. And I don't know to what degree you are into superhero superhero-related things. I don't think this is going to be too hard to explain, though. The would you rather is, would you rather be a superhero with a secret identity, so like Batman or Superman or someone like that, or would you rather be a superhero where people know who you are? So like Iron Man or Luke Cage or something. In these scenario, the the powers are the same. Let's just say you have Superman's powers. It doesn't matter what it is. Would you rather everybody knew who you were and you got to be famous and the branding opportunities and that kind of stuff, or would you rather keep a secret identity and then try and live kind of two lives at once
0: secret identity 100 percent, not even a question listen i've lived the major league life i've been around obviously i was i was married to somebody who was an entertainer and been around that life i know people see it on tv and think man all these different things are cool just being a just being a person that you can go around walking around normal and eat dinner normal and all that stuff there's so much advantage to that and there's just just to be a, a kind of fly on the wall but to have the superpowers right that's something that's something that i think is awesome that you could just be a fly in the wall normal joe schmo and then all of a sudden you know sun goes down and you're out there freaking just saving the world i think that that's pretty Badass and I kind of liken it to and this is how I liken it is, you know, sometimes you meet the wealthiest people on the planet and they're just like they're just dressed down. You'd never know that this person is like, you know, what he's worth and all these different things. And then you find out and you're like, wow, that was freaking cool. This person's a badass. And then you have the other people that just flaunt it and you're like, OK, dude, we get it. So that's that's how I feel about this scenario that you have that you have posted in front of me so I would 100% put me I want to be the fly on the wall but at night the one that just
2: whoops ass I think there are two complications to the situation both pertaining to having a secret identity so I think not having a secret identity being whatever Tony Stark being super famous and using it potentially to get richer and you know, being adored by the people. I think that's a very easy to conceive of simple scenario. The other one is harder because if you have a secret identity, you have to put a lot of effort into maintaining that and keeping yourself hidden from the world. And that's harder than Superman makes it look with just putting on the glasses and taking them off. Like he's still the most jacked journalist in the world. Uh, I think in real life, it'd be hard to maintain a secret identity. And most that would cause most you-
0: jack journalist in the world. Come on, dude. You you're out. You're up there. What about your oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> your dodgeball your dodgeball talents? Come on, my dodgeball feats.
2: Yeah, oh yeah. We're I mean we're in the middle of a rebuilding season here in the <laughs> summer, but uh, now in the fall we'll we'll be back. Couple couple titles in 2019. But uh, the other thing that I think, and this is you you could argue that what I'm about to say makes me a bad person. But if you're a superhero and you – and everyone knows who you are, if something goes down, everyone's going to come find you. They're going to be like, oh, shit, we need to get, like, JP. He's going to come save the day. But if you have a secret identity, you have the option of sitting it out. Like, if you're just really one day just not feeling it and you're like, oh, like, let let someone else deal with this today – no one knows where to, like, you, I don't know, even Batman, they throw the bat symbol, like, no one knows it's Bruce Wayne, no one's knocking on Wayne Manor, being like, Batman, get out there and fight these guys, so I know I have days, and I'm a bit of an introvert, where I just don't want to see people, I don't want to deal with shit, and I think that having a secret identity would be really advantageous in that scenario, because there'll be a couple of things where I'm like, uh, I think the police can do this, or I think, like, the army could probably handle this one, and I just... Uh, I just don't want to go out and do it.
0: No, I, I like it. I I think there's, there's times where you, you're right. There's times and everybody goes through it. It's not just you that you're just like, I'm good, man. I don't want to like, you don't have to come and ask me for everything. I I'm, I'm good. Like I want to just be a fly on the wall or like not deal with shit. So I can, I can see that. I can see that. But that's why for me, I think, I think it's undoubtedly, I'd want to be a fly on the wall and I can go and, and help when
2: in need. Okay, we're in agreement. So that will wrap it there. We appreciate you guys continuing to listen, subscribe, leave reviews, whether they are positive or negative. All we want is honesty, Uh, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening, we appreciate you, and we hope you tune in next week.